Hi there, I'm Matt Ashburn, host of the Needlestack podcast. Needlestack is brought to you by Authenticate, creators of the go-to online investigation platform, Silo for Research. If you're looking for a way to conduct research anonymously, protect against cyber threats, all while avoid tipping off your investigative targets, then you want to try Silo for Research. The Silo Research platform completely isolates your online web browsing, allowing you a choice of location and digital fingerprint, and also has built-in workflow and automation tools. The best part is that Silo for Research is software as a service, so it can be used from any computer or location without the need for things like virtual machines, standalone networks, or, or dirty networks. To learn more about Silo for Research, visit Authenticate.com. That's Authentic with the number 8.com. But uh, the information is out there, right? Uh, you can find a lot of information on people, especially via social media, and especially unwitting people like college students who are really just living their lives and they're trying to have fun and be very social, right? Because that's the currency of today is your lived experiences and your social impact and influence and whatnot. Welcome to Needlestack, the podcast for professional online research. I'm Jeff Phillips, your host. And I'm Shannon Reagan, Needlestack producer and your co-host for today. And then joining us today is James A. Samuel Jr. He's the founder and CEO of Pluribus Inc. And Pluribus is the maker of Angel Tech, the world's uh, premier personal security service. James also brings uh, 30 years of Department of Defense experience. So today we're going to continue our ser series on GeoInt and talk about how it intersects with the OSINT fields, uh, talk about how uh, he's now leveraging that in a commercial sense. So James, welcome to the show. Jeff, thank you, Aubrey, Shannon. I really appreciate uh, the invitation and the ability to be with you guys today to talk about um, all things GeoInt, OSINT, and, um, and just real life. Well, we really appreciate it. Great. So you spent an impressive 31 years in the Department of Defense, James. Um, how did your experience with geospatial and open source intelligence disciplines change over the course of your career there? Well, because I started when I was three, um, you know, <laughs> Perfect. there have been a, a lot of developments, you know, that have gone on in the last three decades. And, you know, I think it's Moore's law, right? That, uh, capacitor space and, you know, um, computing power doubles every 18 months. Uh, and I think he just passed away not too long ago. So, you know, tip of the hat to, to Moore, Moore's Law. Uh, but, you know, we've just seen that acceleration. And of course, with, uh, you know, generative AI coming on the scene in chat GPT, you know, with open AI recently, it's just accelerating. There, there's a saying, um, because I'm a former telecommunications engineer and Air Force fighter pilot, uh, in the jet, the faster you go, the faster you go faster. And so there's sort of a, a ramjet effect, right? You get this compressed air into your intakes and it causes your combustion to happen faster and hotter, which pushes you faster, which then is cyclic, you know? Mm -hmm. So I feel like we're kind of living in that space in the digital uh, digital age. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In, in that 31 years, I'm sure, you know, kind of the evolution of OSINT, you know, the in introduction of the internet, um, the availability and volume of open source information, you know, drastically changed all of the other ends. Do you have any like, you know, personal stories um, or experiences with uh, that shift over time? Yeah, well, just to be clear, Shannon, the internet was around when I started. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was also three at the time. Yes. 
I launched right. the internet, so just to be clear. <laughs> oh, there you go. A man from DARPA in the house. Okay. Uh, yeah, so um, I just want to make sure I get the question right here because I was just thinking about, like, wow, I'm feeling really old all of a sudden. Now. <laughs> That's not our intent. I know. No, it's okay. It's it's all right. Look, I, I it's a blessing to, to be around for every year I, I have. But uh, yeah, so personal stories about the intersection of open source intelligence and, and geospatial intelligence. And I just want to break a couple of those things down for a second, right? So the int is intelligence, right? So in mm -hmm. OSINT, it's open source intelligence. There's all kinds of ints. Do you know what the fastest int in the world is? The, the very fastest int? I don't. I do not. Yeah, it's called room int. Okay. So if there's a rumor, that rumor is going to spread <laughs> faster than any other intelligence source you got out there. It's very true. That is yeah. True. So in the community, in the profession, we, we all understand that roommate is the fastest of all the ants. Uh, not necessarily the most accurate, but it's the fastest. <laughs> this is the jokes podcast. I like this. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you got to keep it real and you got to keep it light because, I mean, you just watch the news. It's pretty heavy out there right now. Indeed. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I've deployed to uh, Afghanistan and I've deployed to East Africa. Uh, like I mentioned, I've flown jets. Uh, so in my 31 years or so, I've seen a lot of changes in open source and in geospatial and mapping uh, technology, you know, another word for geospatial or geospatial intelligence. Um, and then the int, of course, just means uh, sources and methods. So what makes it intelligence is uh, and what makes it classified is how you got it. Right. The information is not classified to someone somewhere. But if you get it through classified means, sources and methods, then that makes it classified. And so mm. open source intelligence is um, it's really it encapsulates all of intelligence. It's just you happen to have found it through a source and a means that was not classified. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that source and means can be classified. But um, but the people who have it through classified means can't acknowledge they can either confirm or deny how they got it. Yeah. And so they won't corroborate that what you're saying is correct, but it may also be true. You just got it through open source means. And I'll give you a quick example, a quick anecdote, maybe two. Um, do you remember when um, the bin Laden raid was happening, right, mm -hmm. uh, in Abbottabad, Pakistan? For those who don't know, Abbottabad is just Abbott Obad. It's an old English name, kind of named Abbott, meaning the city in Pakistan, so it's called Abbottabad. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, a little bit of geospatial history for you. <laughs> um but somebody was tweeting, right? They were basically tweeting like, hey, what's going on? I hear helicopters around. This weird, weird. There's a military academy nearby here in Pakistan, but they shouldn't be doing any exercises at night. You know, why are there helicopters? Why do I hear rotors this time of night here in Abbottabad? This is strange. And so somebody had a live tweet about the bin Laden raid happening at that exact time. And that was a highly classified operation by U.S. Special mm -hmm. Forces and, you know, and the intelligence community. Um, but... If you had found that live stream, you know, that live tweet, you could have had eyes on and ears in to that highly classified event at the time it was happening and possibly have thwarted the whole thing. So open source intelligence is really powerful. And the more prevalent it becomes, I think we're finding more and more applications for it. Yeah. It was interesting. And in, when we were speaking ahead of the podcast, um, you're saying about maybe the reliance on a specific int or, or type of source differs kind of regionally. Um, like your experience in Africa was, um, you know, much more different than kind of the entrenchment of the American forces in Afghanistan. Could you speak a, a bit about um, kind of changing tactics based on where you are? 
Well, yeah. Um, so I was in uh, in Kabul in 2010 timeframe, 2009, 2010. And so by then we'd had already, you know, almost a decade or so of, of U.S. buildup and coalition buildup there in the country. So there were a lot of boots on the ground. There was a lot of Defense Department, both U.S. Defense and International Defense Department spending in that region of the world. So we had a lot of good data. And so it takes data to make maps, period. Mm -hmm. And so with all of that great data, we were able to make some pretty refined maps. And then throughout, of course, the next decade or so there, the, the data just kept accumulating. So um, there was a considerable investment in the data availability of that space. And so you can make some pretty accurate maps based on that. Uh, if you um, juxtapose that to East Africa, and about a year later, I was there on the Horn of Africa, uh, also working you know, for the Defense Department, and there had not been this large swell of U.S. or other military presence there. So the data was pretty scarce. And so we had to rely on old uh, French maps. Um, and I guess now you could probably say there's probably a lot of Chinese maps, right, in Africa because of the Chinese presence on the continent. Mm -hmm. uh, but, yes, you have to be very resourceful. And open source is a great way to find information and use it. And depending on where you are and the investment that's been there based on either wars that were fought there or commercial uh, commercialization, as in the case of China on the continent of Africa now, um, there will be more or less data based on that. And you just have to be very um, agile in how you apply it. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. So I wanted to shift gears a little bit. Um, I originally got cued on to you um, through a video clip I saw you share about a conversation um, around geotags and some high-profile criminal investigations, actually. Uh, could you explain what a geotag is and where they come from and then potentially the role that they play um, in investigations or how they're exploited? Yeah. Um, so the, what you're probably referring to is uh, some recent interviews I've done regarding uh, a couple of high-profile cases. One, the, the four college students who were murdered in Idaho um, and then also the Murdoch case um, on, on the other coast here, U.S. Um, Carolinas. And uh, geospatial information and social media played uh, pivotal roles. One, I, I firmly believe in the case of the Idaho murders that um, Koberger, you know, the, uh, the assailant, right, um, he used his knowledge of criminology uh, being a PhD student in criminology at a nearby university, I think it was Washington State or University of Washington, I forget which one it is. Mm -hmm. um, he had a background in, in criminology, as it were. And so I believe he used social media to develop what's called a pattern of life analysis around those four, a particular two of those students. And then the other two were just sort of there with him because of their friends network. Yeah. But uh, the information is out there, right? Uh, you can find a lot of information on people, especially via social media, and especially unwitting people like college students who are really just living their lives and they're trying to have fun and be very social, right? Because that's the currency of today is your lived experiences and your social impact and influence and whatnot. And so they were sharing their lives on social. And I, I believe that he put together what in the military um, vernacular is called a pattern of life analysis. And you can Google this, right? You can go out and look for army manuals that are out there in open source um, about how the army is trained in its tradecraft to do this for, you know, for looking for high value targets and other, other people. And I believe Koberger did this as well. Uh, but in the case of Murdoch, the son who was murdered 
actually streamed um, his dad's voice at the kennels. And his dad had denied that he was anywhere around those kennels at that time of day. And he had built, because he's, you know, a lawyer, right? A multi-generational uh, lawyer, prosecutor, whatnot in there. And he had built this whole, fabricated this whole story um, uh, about where he was and, and when he wasn't there. And, when he, and his son just obliterated that with one piece of geospatial information, one piece of social media information, and that was his dad's voice at placed him at the kennels. And once the, um, the prosecution team unveiled that in the course of the trial, it just obliterated the dad's defense. His alibi was gone, and he had to start admitting on the stand that he had been lying. Mm -hmm. And then he had to come up with reasons why he was lying about his lies, and it just did him in. And so... There's two different cases, right? One where it was used to, um, you know, harm people, I believe, in the case of the Idaho students, and one where that, that information, those geotags were used to um, convict the murderer, you know, and I believe there will be an angle of it even in the Idaho case as it, as it proceeds. But geotags is simply, it's just data about data, right? It's metadata. And it was first used for photography, right? Um, and, and DSLRs, you know, digital single reflex, uh, reflective cameras, whatever, you know, those professional cameras. Mm -hmm. And it's migrated over to smartphones, which are basically just cameras now more than anything else. They're, they're very powerful cameras. Uh, but that mechanism is still there. And so in your settings, your camera is capturing a lot of information, you know, the f-stop, the exposure, the aperture. There's all these different photographic things that your camera is capturing about the metadata about that picture. Location is one of those things. And when you share information or you post something on Craigslist or whatever, if you don't strip that metadata off of that picture, you're giving away your location on that bicycle that you're trying to sell online somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I'll just give this one more example quickly and then we can talk about how to take these things off. But uh, there was a Russian, a Ukraine used this same data against Russian forces who were posting about their barracks, their Russian mm -hmm. barracks and their living accommodations. And they put a picture on Russia's version of Facebook and Ukraine was using that open source intelligence and saw that picture and saw that the metadata, the geotag was still attached to it and used it to target that barracks mm -hmm. and launched an airstrike against Russia using that Russian soldier's metadata, that geotag on their picture. And, and then the Russian soldier still not waiting of what happened to them took another picture of the battle damage after that strike and posted it online. And the Ukrainians used that same picture to do battle damage assessment to figure out how, how well their strike occurred. Yeah. And so it's being used all over the place and mm. we just need to be more aware of it. Just to help. So when we use like geotag and that metadata, I think it's sometimes referred to as EXIF data, right? On, on photos, I, I believe that's the case, um, which is based on your GPS. But that, I guess my point is that's a snapshot in time. You're, Right, because that's once it's happened, it's happened. This is it's not necessarily tracking you personally from a GPS perspective, like a GPS satellite is tracking you. I mean, that's ongoing live, and that's and then the geotag is one that happens to take your GPS coordinates when you took that picture and posted it to the cloud, correct? Well, it depends. So, first of all, an XF file is called, I think it stands for exchangeable image file format, EXIF, right? And there are cleaners. You can go out online and just search for XF cleaners. And there's different ways that you can get either individual or batch cleaning of your stripping of all that 
metadata off of your photos. So that's one tip I give to people mm -hmm. is go out and Google and research these XF uh, cleaners to help clean up your, your metadata. But mm -hmm. if you go into your Apple phone, your iOS right now, and I, I'd have to imagine Google is very much the same, and you go into your settings and you look at your location and your privacy settings, mm -hmm. you will see that there's little data, little indicators along those different apps that shows how often those apps are tracking your location. And when one tracked it in the last 12 hours, the last 24 hours, the last 48 hours, when one's using your location right now. And so the pictures have metadata attached to them that goes out when you send a picture, but there are many apps that are actually constantly tracking your location based on the permissions you set when you download that app. And that information is being continuously shared with that company. I'm, okay. I may or may not be opening my settings right now. <laughs> yeah, taking a look. <laughs> and I, I didn't think of the, it's a great point that the apps, I mean, uh, I've heard, you know, following um, on the podcast, different OSINT um, investigators, like let's say Bellingcat, which has been very famous in the press. And so they've been giving commoners, if you will, um, educations in, in, in using social media to look at thing, you know, that, that we can go and, and try to figure out where did that picture actually take, uh, was it taken and is there um, EXIF data or, or geotagging data there? But I didn't think about that, uh, yeah, my apps are tracking me on a hourly or every 12 hours. Is there, what, is there other geospatial information? I guess the biggest thing, obviously, is where I'm at. I want, is it giving other information about me in those apps? I, I guess I should check those settings. <laughs> Yeah, check your settings. Um, the location is there. You can see your location and privacy. But have you noticed that uh, recently there have been, at least on the iOS side, there have been uh, some updates that say, do not allow this app to track my location or track me across these different, you know, my, as I'm moving throughout cyberspace. Mm -hmm. Because um, I would imagine, but I can't confirm, that there is other information that is being shared about you Right. Um, through your phone, you know, your buying habits, your preferences, your like to dislike, your in addition to your location, there's other metadata, I believe, that is being shared. And we just don't have um, a lot of insight into that. But an indicator to me that it's more than just your location is this new protection that, at least on the Apple phones, allows you to say, no, I don't want this app to track me across other apps. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, it seems like the tech world is certainly, you know, responding to tracking overload um, and at least putting a bit more power in, in the consumer's hands. You know, social media platforms are stripping exit data from images and videos that are uploaded there. Um, I did actually, for the investigative side, um, stumbled across a tool uh, to help find um, geotag information on YouTube video. I think it's called YouTube GeoFind. So for investigators that are looking in a particular um, space, you can set the parameters of, you know, the radius, um, the time frame that you're looking in, um, if you're doing sort of geo investigations uh, via YouTube videos. So lots of tools, I'm sure, popping up in that sphere. No doubt. Yeah, I guess, you know, aside from geotags, uh, are there other open source geoint relevant resources or go-to tools um, that are, you know, just kind of laying in the public sphere? Um, do you have any recommendations for investigators in, in that realm? Wow. Well, I'll tell you, um, Google is a great one, right? <laughs> because it is essentially organizing the world's information, right? I don't know if that's their official tagline, but, <laughs> but, 
but that's what they're doing. And so uh, the the way in which that search engine works is just really phenomenal. Um, and, you know, this isn't an endorsement. I'm not paid by Google or anything like that. But, um, you know, you've kind of reached a certain level in your space when your name becomes a verb for mm -hmm. your activity, yeah. right? And so that's the first one I just say, you know, that use Google for sure, because it is organizing the world's information. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about generative AI just a second ago. We kind of mentioned it topically, but the, you know, chat GPT coming out of the scene is another, um, is another great tool because it also is organizing the world's information, but just doing it in a different way. And mm -hmm. of course, Google has Bard, I think is their version of, of generative AI that's out there as well. But I would say uh, artificial intelligence is, is probably the next big difference maker in this space of, of finding things that were previously unfound because it is scrubbing and organizing, cataloging and bringing together the world's information in, in heretofore unforeseen ways. So I would say that is another great tool. I would ask folks to employ it and just know that it is not perfect. Mm -hmm. It does have faults, you know, buyer beware, but it is a fantastic tool that's out there. That's a very scary tool that's out there right now, but also a very useful tool that's out there. Yeah, that, That's a really good point. And uh, an episode or two ago, um, we were talking again about GON as kind of a theme the last few shows. If we think about the satellite side of things, just the, and, and talk about images, just how many images I, I don't even remember the gentleman tried to estimate the amount of, you know, in, in, in terabytes or what level, but there's, there's so many photos and that um, at this point we can't analyze them all, right? Are there enough OSINT and GON analysts out there to actually um, sift through and, and gather intelligence and make recommendations based on what all these uh, information, these satellites are, are tracking and pictures they're able to provide. And the answer was no. And so can artificial intelligence start to help us, Know, automate some of that, um, um, basically the analysis side of open source intelligence to get to actual intelligence. There's one thing to research and find it, and then I've got to analyze it. And there's too much data. Oh, 100%. We went through this, uh, you know, my former agency, you know, I was employed to part defense and, you know, the, the GON agency in GA. And um, we went through this, gosh, probably starting and really looking into this, um, more than a decade ago, because, you know, you're, you're talking about the, the voluminous uh, open source information that's out there, but then there's an equally and, and prior set of voluminous government data that is out there um, that has been going on since satellites first started before the public mm -hmm. had access to them. And sifting through all that data is an impossible human task. And so there's something called AAA uh, which is um, artificial intelligence, um, automation, and augmentation okay. that the intelligence community has really um, started to to employ, to research and to employ, because there are only so many analysts, but the number of, of images just increase year over year um, to really help humans do what humans are best at, which machines can queue up for the humans, can augment them, right? make mm -hmm. humans better at their task by sifting through all of those piles and finding that to your, your name, you know, that needle in the haystack or needle in the needle stack. And then saying, here, human, look at this. This deserves your attention. 
I've done my job. I've cut out all the other monotony, and I this is the stuff that's interesting, that's different, that's that's different from a baseline perspective than what it was before. And you need to put your human bias and your human brain on this. And that's really the future of AI for for imagery analysis, and not just in the visual spectrum, but in the synthetic aperture radar spectrum and in the infrared yeah. spectrum and all others. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mark Knapp, our last, last guest, I think was definitely getting into that as well. Um, there's just so much beyond even what the human eye and human brain can process. So leverage tech as best you can. Hey, and here's one for you for the, for the real deep geoint nerds out there. Um, <laughs> Please. Yeah. You know, the, the visual spectrum, when you look at the, the phenomenology of imagery and, and how light works in the visual spectrum, if you look at that in the radar spectrum, it's much more about math um, than it is. It's much more the science than the art. And so the machines, are, I believe, are going to be a lot better at doing that on the radar imagery side because it's, it, radar imagery is just blobology. You look at it and it's, you know, right. it's not made for visual eyes. But the math behind it can be quantified and the algorithms can be trained, I believe, better to sift through that faster. Um, and there, there's a lot more, I think, that can be done with the math behind that, with the machines on, radar, on the radar side. Fascinating. Mm. There's a lot of stuff <laughs> a, keeping an eye on us, Shannon, from up above is what we're finding out. Right? <laughs> yeah, Brave New World for sure. <laughs> yes. So as we wrap up, um, I did want to talk a little bit about your organization uh, behind you, uh, Pluribus, uh, and the <laughs> the Angel Tech Solution. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about that and the intersection with uh, with GeoInt? Yeah. Again, thanks for having me and giving me the opportunity to talk about Pluribus. Um, so Pluribus is uh, it's a geospatial startup, essentially, right? It is a geospatial and it's also a geosocial company that I founded back in 2019 to take those 31 or so years of, of exposure and tradecraft at the highest levels in our federal and, and even in international spaces and bring it into the public sphere and say, here, here are tools that are founded in that in that's deep tradecraft and the deep science and technology, but here are public tools that you can use to leverage the cloud-based, you know, live streaming and geospatial location and use it to help keep yourself safe. And so we launched our first technology, which is called Angel Tech, and it's Angel with a J, because I'm James. Um, and it is a live streaming. Is, I know, right? Boom. Right? Yes, I love it. <laughs> it's just that simple. Uh, it, it, you know, just that a little easy bit to remember. Of, a little vanity there, right? Um, but yeah, it, it is easy to remember, and it's and it's Angel Tech. Uh, because for lots of reasons, it's technology that you know, keeps an eye on you, that is for you, right? Helps protect mm -hmm. you. It's, it's based off of Psalms 9111. And he shall give his angels charge over you and they shall keep you and they shall help you and they shall protect you against harm and danger, essentially. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's why it's called Angel Tech. But it is a live streaming application that is for any iOS and Android phone, right? Mm -hmm. So that's it. It's in the App Store, Google Play Store. It works on any iOS and Android device. Mm -hmm. Uh, current, right? I mean, it can't be anymore like three, five, six years old, <laughs> right? So don't don't take a first generation <laughs> <laughs> iPhone. Is that he lied? You know? Someone's someone's <laughs> software is having issues supporting, you know, yeah, versions right. from ten years ago. Yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
We we try. We, I mean, the maybe the last five or six years we got uh, you, but otherwise that's good. Yeah, that's yeah. good. I'm impressed with going five years back. <laughs> yeah, we can go back. But anyway, um, and it puts that power into your hands. It says here are tools and techniques that you can use to keep your family safe. So if you're a college student, if you are a jogger, um, if you are experiencing any type of maybe even abuse in an elderly home, if you, you're in a school and a shooting's happening, if you get pulled over by police and you or you're, you have a flat tire and you're not sure of your surroundings. You know, you can use Angel Tech to let your loved ones know where you are, see exactly what's happening to you, get a route provided so they can get to you and or send help to you. Uh, and it was launched really in the in the Black Lives Matter movement right after mm -hmm. George Floyd. Right. That was mm -hmm. the first use case we saw. Like, OK, this needs to get to the world right now. And Angel was really a, a smaller part of a much larger fabric that Pluribus is still developing that we decided to separate and launch immediately and make it its own thing. Uh, and then once we finished building our other tech in the garage here, we'll put them back together and you'll see the fuller picture that Purpose was created for, uh, which is is really gonna blow your mind because it, it will change the way everything works together cooperatively, mm -hmm. uh, both humans and machines. And so it's based on something called identity-based navigation. I won't go into it, you can go to our website, purposedata.com but it's for humans and machines. And it's navigating and it's moving through space and time based on your attributes, not the attributes of your location solely. Uh, but it puts them all together. It says, okay, oh, this okay. is your identity, whatever makes you you, both human and machine. And then it, and it marries those in a Venn diagram kind of a way with your, your environment. And it helps you find productive routes through it and productive services in the midst of it. Um, and so that's what Purpose was founded to do. Angel Tech was a small part of that, that because of what happened to George Floyd, we launched right away. Mm. And uh, and it's, it's working out there right now by itself. Uh, so that's really kind of the, you know, overarching why. There's lots more to it, but I'll stop there to see if you have any questions. Well, I do, because yeah. I, I think it's a kind of connected into the geospatial side. So you mentioned... Um, all right, so it, it's my phone. So it's got my GPS coordinates. It's now going to also record um, or and and stream. You just basically said it's a live stream, and I and automatically hit me. So now we all know to your point where you're at, and it's going to store it in the cloud. I think also right in case that device is taken or stolen or whatever. I mean, you've taken a lot of things and put it and put them together here to um, from a personal safety perspective. I think we were using the what did you use the phrase per sec. We were talking about opsec and all the different secs per sec. Per which is, a, Which is why we have one of these, okay? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Your baby, oh. <laughs> yes, right? We got a patent for our baby because it is unique. It does combine all those things together in a very unique way. It provides a unique service utility. Yeah. Well, That's congratulations. It, it seems like a very unique app and, you know, almost unfortunately so needed for our times, but, but I'm sure we'll be well used. I hope so. Thank you. Uh, I really appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Just our YouTube site has all kinds of information out there. So go to Angel Tech on YouTube. You'll see lots of demos of the location tracking, how it tracks you. Every okay. 10 seconds is our clip. Hmm. Um, and then the, the Latin long are there as well. And so and what's unique about Angel Tech is when you view that live stream in the app, mm -hmm. um, it stores your track, your breadcrumbs along your path with that image and it keeps them together with that video mm -hmm. so you can go back and say okay this is where they were at that time and here's how they progressed they were walking they were running they stopped here's how long they're at this location so it gives you more than just an, a snapshot in time it gives you yeah. trend data as well oh, i didn't pick mm -hmm. that up james that is super cool yeah more um, detailed and, and snapshots it's interesting cool I don't, yeah I don't, 
it's not the right word in a safety app, but um, I would, didn't realize that every 10 seconds, right? As compared to, I get the streaming live now, I'm here right now and in danger, but that almost sounds like, I'm sorry, Jim, if you were not, if you never maybe got to the point of being able to stream, is it just kind of live in and still tracking that stuff in the background? No, it's okay. not at this point. It's okay. only when you press the stream button. You press the stream for, button. Okay. For privacy concerns, we didn't want ah. it tracking you all the time right. as well. So we turned that feature off. In future versions, we may enable something like that. But right now, you have to say, I need people to know where I am right now. And I want to drop a breadcrumb right. or a series of breadcrumbs. And once you get that button, then all those things. Happen. Okay. But if I hit it now and then... I end up in a car and going three miles away or five miles, but it is now I'm recording every 10 seconds. That's yeah. in a discreet way, right? It that separates is, the, the angels from the big brother. Sure. Yeah, no, that's a good point too. I didn't think, yeah, uh, that's, oh, that's, I didn't pick up that part. That's really cool. Yeah, there's a video out there. It's called uh, our super cool location tracking. And I go to the, um, the Lincoln Memorial here. And it's mm -hmm. actually interesting because they, they took that clip out of that video and it's actually in our patent. There's a screenshot of that clip from the oh, Lincoln wow. Memorial mm -hmm. in our patent showing the location tracking there um, and how when you watch the video, you'll see as I'm walking down the steps of the Lincoln Memorial from the spot where Dr. King gave his I Have a Dream speech, mm -hmm. I walk down towards the reflecting pool and you see my video on one side, you see the angel map on the other side, and you can see my iris kind of marching along as you see the video moving and it's all laced together. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, that is, that is great stuff. So uh, again, um, yeah encourage everyone to check out the website. Um, we will definitely have all of that information in the show notes. Um, and I want to, so I want to say thanks to our guest, James A. Samuel Jr. for joining us today. Um, it was a great conversation. So uh, as Pluribus moves forward, we'd love to have you back again, sir. Oh, I, I would love to come back, Jeff. And uh, before I forget, um, if not this Friday, perhaps the next Friday, but here shortly, uh, you know, your audience can go out and see a clip of me uh, talking about the geotagging aspect of the Idaho murders hmm. uh, on Dateline. I was interviewed by NBC's Dateline. And uh -huh. so that's going to come out. They're doing the final checking and there's some changes in the trial, the actual happening of the trial right now. Uh, but that's going to come out here in the next probably a week or two, maybe three. And your folks can go out and find that Dateline clip. And I'll be talking about it on NBC Dateline about geotagging wow. in conjunction with the Idaho murders. We'd be remiss if we did not have a plugs portion of the podcast. Thanks for thanks for sharing. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that's great. And obviously our listeners need to, uh, you know, that'll be another place to continue to expand their knowledge on the geotag front. So yeah. uh, thanks for bringing that up. Um, well, everyone, if you like what you heard, uh, you can view transcripts and other episode info on our website, authenticate.com slash needle stack. That's authentic with the number eight dot com slash needle stack. And be sure to let us know your thoughts on Twitter at NeedlestackPod and to like and subscribe wherever you're listening today. Um, we'll be back next week with more on our subject of GeoEnt. We'll see you then.